Max Verstappen wins again to stretch his championship lead after Ferrari fumbles to turn second and third on the grid into fourth and sixth at the flag. This is the F1 Strategy Report. My name's Michael Laminato and this is round 13, the Hungarian Grand Prix, powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Search LeaveCal in the Zero App Store. Ferrari explicitly targeted a 1-2 finish in Hungary, knowing that the twisty Hungaro ring would ideally suit its SF75. And after Friday practice, it seemed set to make that goal a reality. But the weekend slipped away from the team from there. Cooler conditions on Saturday meant it couldn't even take pole. And in the race, it had to deal with the dual threat of Mercedes and Red Bull Racing for the podium. At half distance, Charles Leclerc had the lead, but a strategically aggressive Max Verstappen undercut panicked Ferrari into making a serious tactical error, gambling on hard tyres it had never used before and that were too slow for the conditions. Verstappen breezed past not once but twice for victory, and Leclerc was forced to stop again, leaving him sixth and now way off the title pace. Was this another Ferrari fumble, or was there more to the latest calamitous result for Maranello? To talk us through it, I'm joined by F1 Managing Editor of Motorsport magazine.com christian menarth christian how are you doing thank you very much and hello to australia <laughs> and hello to budapest i suppose or goodbye to budapest goodbye to the first half of the season because we can finally take a little bit of a break a little bit of a breather and process everything we've seen particularly in the last month and i want to start here because it's a question i think i'm going to be asking increasingly in the next few rounds but July was a really important month for the championship. We had four races in five weeks. They were all kind of important. We saw some different tracks. And the championship really feels like it's heading in one direction now. After the last four races, and in particular Hungary, how are you feeling about the state of the championship and where we've ended up at this point? The state of the championship is a lot worse than <laughs> than the races themselves. Mm. So if you just look at the, the championship standings, it's uh, not that exciting. But if you look <laughs> at the single races, they've been quite exciting. So that's a bit sad. But um, So if you ask sportsmen what they think about the championship, they never tell you what they really think. They say, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take it race by race or whatever. And um, I have the same approach now. I just take it race by race <laughs> and look at the championship standings. That's an that's important advice. I think that is good because I did do I did the numbers. I feel like we're getting close to being able to count down when the championship can be won, and it can be won in Japan, which is very close. So race by race is a good strategy. I think I think that's a very good strategy. This in Budapest was meant to be a Ferrari track, and I guess in on some days, in some sessions, it was a Ferrari track this weekend because it's a car that suits that kind of narrow, twisty circuit. Friday looked really ominous when it was still quite warm in the way that, that Hungary often is. It looked like Ferrari was going to really sweep the floor with everybody. And yet, what we saw on Saturday and Sunday looked nothing like that. Does Ferrari understand why that is? I thought it was interesting that Mattia Bonotto said after the race that it's the first time all season that he didn't have a handle on, on what was going on. Yeah, I think that's a big part. We were all talking about strategy, and I think we will mm -hmm. hear, and it's really, really interesting what, what that happens in, in terms of strategy. But the biggest problem was not the strategy, said Mattia. The biggest problem was just that they didn't have the pace. And um, it was the first time in, in 13 races this year that they didn't have the pace to fight for the win. And I asked him if they have a clue why. And he said no. <laughs> I mean, the obvious thing would be the temperature. Mm -hmm. But... It's never as easy as that in Formula 1, isn't it? No, it's never, it never seems to be one thing. But, well, I'm curious on your take on this, because I was sort of looking at the lap times, and it's clear they were certainly not miles away like it looked like they were on Friday. 
But the car still seemed competitive enough, at some points, maybe the fastest car in the race. Does it feel like Mattia was exaggerating a little bit when he says that they were just too slow to win? Um, I don't think so. I, I think um, they could have ended up on the podium, definitely, mm-hmm. if they would have got the strategy right. But um, there was something interesting that Carlos Sainz said. You just have to ca- compare my soft stint with Lewis' soft stint. So um, the, a bit of a problem with comparing the, the, the speed is, or the performance is that they all started on different tires. Mm-hmm. Ferrari started on the medium tire. Um, the Red Bulls and Russell started on the soft tire. But Lewis was actually the only one who started on the medium tire as well of the, of the, of the competitive guys. And um, so he had to use the soft tire in the end as well. And um, he pitted in lap 51 and um, Sainz pitted in lap 47. So it's kind of a similar strategy. You can kind of compare the tires. And um, I think Lewis came out of the pits like uh, seven seconds behind Sainz and finished 10 seconds ahead. So in this stint, he gained like 15, 17 seconds. Mm. And... That's kind of a true pace they had there. Okay, Sainz was struggling probably a bit more during the race than, than Leclerc. I think they could have been a bit more. But still, the Ferrari was nowhere where, where it was on, on Friday. Sainz said they had an advantage of half, and sec- half a second on, on Friday and they had a disadvantage of half a second on Saturday and probably compared to the Mercedes. Um, the performance they lost is even more than one second because Mercedes was nowhere on, on Friday. So that's really a mystery where, where this second or one and a half seconds went to. And certainly did define the race. Before we look at some of those decisions into the race, I want to start with the start of Mercedes weekend as well on Friday because it looked genuinely bad for that team. And I guess they arrived in Budapest expecting it not to be great because it's not one of the circuits, considering the struggles the teams had this year, that, that should have been that good. Yeah, but, 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 wait, but wait a minute. Mm. Look back to France. Well, yes. you remember yeah, exactly. how big the expectations were there? There were huge the expectations, and I, I wouldn't say they were nowhere. But on one lap pace, it wasn't great, and after the race, okay, um, they had a good result. But for the reasons we know, and then Toto Wolf said, probably we have to think the opposite way now, <laughs> because we thought this track would suit us. Probably the next one, at the moment, and just for what the number tell us, mm-hmm. what, what the numbers tell us, Budapest shouldn't suit us. But now we think the opposite way. And here we are. So is it something that changed then in France deliberately? Or is it really just them rocking up to tracks and then just seeing what happens? I think it's the last one. Because (laughs) if you remember where they were on Friday, they were just Mm -hmm. nowhere. And then they saw it was the worst Friday of our whole season. So we changed the car upside down. That's what they did. And it worked out. (laughs) It is... It's really interesting just to remember back even one year ago when Mercedes never would leave anything to chance. Mercedes would have a handle on everything. And yet here they are, maybe not even understanding where their pace comes from or understanding which tracks are going to be good and bad for them. It's an in- it's a really incredible turn of events. We'll get back to Mercedes a little bit later when we look at the race because... The big change really happened on on Friday night or Saturday morning when the heavy rain really arrived at the track, completely cleaned the surface, much cooler as well on Saturday and Sunday. That was a major difference, as you mentioned, uh, from Friday practice to the rest of the weekend. But really, FP3 should have been that opportunity, I guess, for everyone to evaluate how those things were changing. But it was wet. It was really wet, in fact. Is that actually that missing session in this weekend where we would have 
got more answers. Had FP3 not been wet, do you think Ferrari would have had as bad a weekend as they had? Uh, that's a good question, actually. I haven't thought about that one. Um, it could be, yeah. But I, I would say it's, it's, it's not enough because mm-hmm. that swing of performance, can you avoid that one with just 60 minutes of, of, of practice session? I don't think so. And um, also the weather forecast was a problem because the weather forecast said it's going to be really wet mm-hmm. on Saturday and should be all right on, on Sunday and a bit warmer again. But <laughs> as it turned out, it wasn't the case. So I'm not sure if they would have anticipated the conditions like they were in, on, on Sunday. And when I talked to Helmut Marco on Friday, because they had a really bad Friday as well at mm-hmm. Red Bull, and um, he said, yeah, it doesn't matter because tomorrow it's going to be wet. I said, yeah, are you going to turn the car upside down for, for the wet conditions and for the cold conditions? He said, no, because on Sunday it's warm and sunny again. So um, the weather forecast was a bit it's of a, a really problem good probably as well. Because when we did get to Sunday, and let's look at the very beginning of Sunday now, in fact, the, the um, reconnaissance laps to the grid, everyone was sort of surprised, and this happened throughout the race, that the tyres were taking a little bit longer to warm up. Everyone sort of thought that would be the case with the hard tyre because it was very hard. Even Pirelli suggested maybe that the Pirelli hard tyre was too hard in the conditions. But it was interesting to hear Red Bull talk about the idea that they changed their strategy because of that outlap. They went out on softs and even the softs were struggling to warm up. So I guess that really does talk to that idea that no one expected it to be as cold as it did. Everyone was almost starting from scratch on Sunday. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I looked up the numbers on Friday. We had 34 degrees Celsius um, air mm-hmm. temperature and 50 degrees track temperature. On a Sunday, it was 19 degrees um, air temperature and 28 degrees track temperature. So actually, you can say it's it's a different track with these different yeah. conditions. And especially the hard tire needs more temperature than the soft tire. Um, I'm not sure how it is back in Australia if you need <laughs> special tires for the winter. But here in <laughs> Europe, when it's snowing, you need winter tires. And um, they are usually a lot softer than the summer tires. So um, that's just where you can imagine how different it is to get a harder tire to work than a softer tire. Even if you were just talking about 10 degrees Celsius or whatever, you still have to create that temperature in the tire. And it's not the surface temperature because that's, that one would be easy. It's just sliding around, but that's the temperature you don't want to have. You want to warm up the tire structurally. And that's really, really difficult if you're missing um, these few degrees Celsius. So um, the colder it gets, the easier, or the, the colder it gets, the better the soft tire is. And then the hard tire, the C2, as it turned out, really didn't work. Let's have a look at the way the the early part of this race unfolded because one of the big questions going into this, and I guess we kind of got an answer to it, was considering George Russell was on pole, an excellent pole by him, despite setting no purple sectors in qualifying, in fact, just a great smooth lap, was that Ferrari, okay, they were still and are still, and even Charles Leclerc is still in title contention, but really... If Charles Leclerc is going to win the title, he needs to be the one doing the winning. But Carlos Sainz qualified ahead of him. And I guess we sort of got a relatively decisive action from the Ferrari pit bull to give Leclerc what was the quicker strategy in that first stop. A long-running uh, first stint, or relatively long-running first stint on that medium tyre uh, to get past George Russell. But, we already, uh, and, but we've seen here as well that, that Ferrari making slow stops, just generally not being too sharp in the pit lane is that ultimately what cost Carlos Sainz a position to George Russell do you think was it all down to the pit stop or was it just that he seemed 
in the race for some reason not to have that qualifying pace he had. Yeah, I mean, that, that's something we've seen quite a few times now mm. that um, Carlos is struggling a bit more with race pace than, than with qualifying pace. I think that is definitely one factor, but the other one was uh, the pit stop you mentioned. I'm not 100% sure if he would have overcutted Russell with a faster pit stop. I'm not 100% sure. It, it could have worked out, but it needn't. So um, I think many factors, and, and you saw later on when Leclerc was behind Russell, that he was able to overtake. So he had a bit of more race pace than, than Carlos in that race. Was it surprising how early Leclerc went, considering that he seemed pretty comfortable on the medium tyre? And we know the next start, the next stint was particularly short. We'll talk about that in a second. But was it surprising that Ferrari wasn't willing to trust that he had the pace to ultimately overcome George Russell eventually, rather than keep that first stint a little bit short? I think now we're talking about one of the major problems Ferrari had in this race. Mm-hmm. They were not doing their own race they were doing the race of the others so they were reacting to others and the problem was that they started on the medium tires but their main competitors in this race started on the soft tires and um, that's where they sacrificed their own race quite a lot and you mentioned the second stint we i think we're going to talk about that one later but also the first and you mentioned science was pretty short 17 Mm -hmm. laps Leclerc did later on 18 laps in the second stint on the medium tyre. There were the two shortest stints in the whole race on the medium tyre of the whole field. And the medium tyre was definitely the tyre to be on during that race. The soft tyre was too soft, the hard tyre was too hard. The medium medium tyre was the tyre to be on. And they had the shortest stints of the whole race. If you count the total laps on the medium tyre during the race, it's... um, 54 for Verstappen, 51, Hamilton, 54, Russell, then Sainz, 47, and Leclerc, 39. Mm. So that sums up quite Ferrari's problem. They were not doing their own race, not doing their perfect strategy. They were just reacting to others. And probably it would have worked out last year or the years before because overtaking was just impossible. Mm -hmm. But with this generation of cars, even in Budapest, you could overtake. And then you could use the performance of your tires and you didn't have to cover the others so much as as you had to in in previous years. And I think that's something they underestimated, that you can overtake and um, that it sometimes works out now when you do your own race. The thing is, if they wouldn't have covered the others, they probably still wouldn't have won the race just because they didn't have the pace. What would we have said after the race if they wouldn't have covered Russell and later on mm-hmm. Verstappen if they wouldn't have won the race? Then we would have criticized them pretty heavily for not covering yeah. them, I guess. So, um, however, w- whatever they would have made, they would have made something wrong. And yeah, they could have done better, definitely. And we talk about the, the disastrous strategy call uh, mm-hmm. in a minute, I guess. But um, in the end, it was, I think it's understandable what they did, but it just wasn't right in the end. Yeah, and I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because and you and you say there, you know, we probably would have ended up criticising them either way. Perhaps we don't know the outcome, but feels like that, doesn't it? And I thought it's been interesting. Carlos Sainz has been talking in the last couple of weeks, hasn't he? Saying that you know, no matter what Ferrari does, people criticise them. They're getting more criticism than other teams, and it's it's not fair on them. Both drivers have said that, in fact. Do you think that's gotten to the point now where it's weighing down on the team? Is that something the team? is starting to feel the pressure of because we've got a couple of mistakes and then a lot of criticism no matter what happened? Actually, that's a discussion we have uh, within our <laughs> office as well. Um, I, I said after France, 
that I think Mattia Binotto is a great leader of the team because they had a disastrous weekend in France. Engine penalty for signs, the, the mistake Leclerc did that cost him the race. So um, there were not too many things to be happy about. But he st- said, there is no reason we're not, we shouldn't win the, the next mm-hmm. 10 races. And the target for Hungary is not a win, it's a 1-2. So um, I thought, okay, he's not blaming Leclerc for the mistake he did. Remember back then when when Sepp did that mistake in, in, in Germany when he was leading the race? I remember the, the press release afterwards when Maurizio Arribobene was mm-hmm. still team principal there. He didn't even mention Sebastian in, uh, in the quote and in the press release. He just said, we saw with Kimi what was possible with this car. And actually, Ferrari was responsible for the mistake as well but because of their strategy. Mm-hmm. But that's a different <laughs> story. But then I thought about Mattia, where it's clear that it was Charles' mistake, but he wasn't blaming him. He said, yeah, that can happen when you push. That's it. And he was so optimistic and um, helping his own driver and his own team. So I think Mattia is a great leader. Here we have a problem because it's the strategy again. And it's not the first time Ferrari has a problem with the strategies. And we mustn't forget that Mattia is not doing the Ferrari Mm -hmm. strategy. But he has a team. And and in the end, he's responsible for the team, for the strategy team as well. And I'm not 100% sure if it's Inaki Rueda who finally takes a decision or whatever, but they definitely have to work on their strategy department. If it's the tools they have, the strategy tools, um, where they do their calculations, or if it's the team itself, I don't know. But I think we're coming to a point where not Mattia is the guy to blame for and um, we should talk about if, if he's the right one, but Mattia should probably take action within the, the strategy team and um, do whatever is necessary. If it's the people I don't know, it could be the tools as well, but they definitely need to ramp up their game um, because the, the mistakes have been too costly this season. And it's going to be an interesting discussion that I think will go over the, the next half of the year. As we approach that second pit stop, that crucial second pit stop for Leclerc on lap 39, let's contrast this race with Red Bull Racing's uh, race with Max Verstappen, started on the soft tyre, as you mentioned. And this was the complete opposite of doing someone else's race, really, because Red Bull went in with a pretty clear plan of how they wanted to address it once they decided to start on that soft tyre extremely aggressive and it's sort of interesting to think of the Hungarian Grand Prix almost like an example of the entire season to date. Red Bull very aggressive, Ferrari sort of fumbling a little bit. Is it understated a little bit that Red Bull went out and won this race because we're talking so much about Ferrari losing it? Did Red Bull really deserve the full credit I guess for this more than they're getting perhaps? I think so yeah especially if you look at the pace Max had Um, that was really 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 incredible. I mean Ferrari as you mentioned, helped them a bit, but still the, the Red Bull pace was, was incredible that they had, especially the, the last stint, um, the early stop in lap 38. If you compare it to anyone else, Max even spun mm-hmm. and yeah. was unbelievable fast <laughs> in the whole stint. So that, that was really... And, and I want to talk about the spin as yes. well because this perfect 360, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can only imagine what other drivers would have done when they, when, uh, they spun. Uh, I, probably they would have just be standing there trying to get the car to yeah. neutral, get in, in, into the first gear and start again. And Max did it perfectly. He was already on a throttle again when, when he was like in mm. 180 degrees or whatever <laughs> and then just lost a few seconds. That's it. It was unbelievable. 
It was extremely impressive. But yeah, you're right. I mean, and he's done it before, hasn't he? Max has done that kind of thing before where he saves these great spins. I don't know. He's just got a great feeling for it, I guess. So he's a very good driver. I guess that's what it is, really. Yeah. Shouldn't be surprised. Think back to, to Brazil a few years ago when yes. it was so wet. And um, he just... I mean, he he was on the brakes all the time, but he released the brakes just in the right time, mm. not to hit the wall, and then to be able to steer again, and then he was in in, in the right place again. It's unbelievable. Great uh, Dutch commentary. If anyone wants to look up that Brazilian spin, was that twenty sixteen? I think because I think it was Rosberg versus Hamilton in the final races for the championship. Yes, and then he passed Rosberg. What a great oh. Yeah, take me back. Take me back to the scene. How interesting. Great Dutch commentary, though, on YouTube. Anyone wants to go and look for it. So let's talk about that second pit stop window. You've sort of already mentioned Ferrari really not running their own race. They, I guess, panicked into this decision because Red Bull is being extremely aggressive with a pit stop on lap 38, really just past half distance. And they're going for a long run on that medium compound tyre. Ferrari doesn't have that option because they've already used mediums. They need a different compound. I think it's interesting here as well that not for the first time the drivers have kind of suggested different options. Now, Charles Leclerc said after the race he felt very good on the medium tyre, would be happy to keep going with it. And we've heard a lot of that, for example, from Carlos Sainz in previous races. He loves to tell the strategy team that maybe they're getting it wrong or giving suggestions, doing things like that. Remember it in Monaco, for example, even in France. They chose not to listen to Charles here. Uh, and the hard tyre is such an interesting decision because they hadn't run it at all. It seemed clear it wasn't wasn't quick enough. Is that panic, do you think? What's behind a decision like that? I think it's not panic. It's um, it's just that they see Verstappen, their main competitor in the championship, mm-hmm. doing something and they wanted to react to it. Um, they shouldn't have. And if they wouldn't have reacted and would have just extended the stand on the medium tyre, he wouldn't have won the race. But he definitely wouldn't have ended up on in, in sixth place. So um, that's the problem. They, I think uh, Charles had like seven seconds advantage to, to mm-hmm. Max when, when Max pitted. And then they knew if they're going to wait a few more laps and put on the hard tyre, it's not going to work out because it takes a bit to, to warm it up. So um, Max would have had such a big tyre advantage and would have passed Charles easily. So their thinking was... They have to pit Charles straight away that he has the chance to get his tires up to temperature with like, I don't know, five seconds gap to Mm -hmm. max and then has a chance to defend. And even if the soft tire is fast at the beginning, um, Charles' time will come at the end of the race. Actually, as we know, it never came, Mm -hmm. the time on the hard tire. So um, I understand the thinking behind it. But um, if you look at other races, for example, the Alpines, they pitted on lap. 21 and mm-hmm. 23 and went to the hard tire and their pace look, didn't look great either or Mick Schumacher he pitted on lap 21 for the hard tire and it didn't work out so um, yeah I'm, I'm pretty convinced they should have realized earlier that it's a bad idea to go on the hard tire but then they thought they have a at least okay car and the better your car is the easier you get the tires to temperature and you can make them work in the end, they didn't have a great car and the hard tire didn't work at all. But it's all factors that play together. And that's what ultimately cost Charles not the win, but at least P2 or P3. It's an interesting thread, I think, for Mercedes, uh, for Ferrari as well. Because I, I think back to the British Grand Prix, for example, 
they really misunderstood the tyres at that safety car pit stop, right? They thought the, the soft tyre, I think it was at the time, was going to expire very quickly uh, and that the hard tyre would have more life in it for the restart for Charles. And in the end, that was completely wrong. And even Carlos Sainz understood that in the car, that that was never going to happen. It almost just feels like they don't really have that rock-solid understanding of these compounds yet. It seems like they continue to misunderstand the life of these tyres. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Um at least the pit wall, yeah, not well, the drivers. Yeah, not the tri- drivers seem to get it, don't they? They do seem but, to get it. But I think that that could be a problem of Charles, that he's too nice in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of discussions in the last years with drivers as well about a certain asshole attitude <laughs> you need in Formula 1. And that was mainly for battles on mm-hmm. track. But you also need that attitude in the car when you're communicating with, uh, with, with the pit wall. You have to make them clear sometimes that you want to have a certain race. But then the problem is still the driver doesn't have the bigger picture in the race. The pit bull usually mm-hmm. has. And I can remember so many cases where the driver thought it would be a good idea, but it definitely <laughs> wasn't just because they didn't have all the data available. Probably, if, if you think of Fernando Alonso, he sometimes has definitely a the bigger picture mm-hmm. uh, when he's racing and probably even a bigger picture than the Ferrari strategists. <laughs> um, but it's, it's the case so often that the driver sees only his own race and not the race of the others and, and what's going on around him. So um, in the end, you need a good working team and Mercedes is probably the best example for it. Lewis um, is very clear on the radio what he thinks about strategy. But when a team is 100% convinced that it's the wrong thing, what Louis says, they are overruling him. They say, no, we're going to do something else and uh, we explain it to you later, whatever. But at Ferrari, I have the impression that Charles doesn't have that kind of attitude to tell the pit wall what is right. He says, I have the feeling, or couldn't we do that or whatever? But in the end, it's always the pit wall who takes the decision. And they probably have to adjust us a bit and trust the drivers a little bit more. And Charles also has to work on it, how he communicates it and has a, has a stronger say in that. It's a really interesting point, And I think that's absolutely correct. It does feel like that team needs development time. And maybe that's just because they haven't been under pressure like this for a few years now. But then again, it wasn't that long ago they were winning races and sort of thinking they were in championship contention only a few years ago. But I guess the drivers are new. The setup is a bit different. Just need some time, I guess. Not quite ready to win the championship this year because it doesn't seem like they're going to, does it? Let's be honest. Let's have a little bit of a look at Mercedes briefly uh, because they were the surprise packet of this race. We sort of already touched on it there. They rocked up. They weren't sure whether they were going to be quick or not. They, I guess they believed they could be and they ended up getting pole, of course, with George Russell. And at the end of the race, Lewis Hamilton was extremely quick and they got both cars onto the podium and no Ferraris on the podium, of course. Second time in a row, they've got two cars on the podium and I guess that the feeling is that there's improvement at Mercedes and definitely they've gotten better since the start of the year but how much of it is improvement from Mercedes whether they understand it or not and how much of it is the fact that Ferrari keeps making mistakes even Sergio Perez the last two weekends has been a little bit off the pace is it a bit of a false dawn do you think yeah that's a good question and I think we have to get Ferrari out of the equation in this mm-hmm. race because they just haven't been up to, to the real pace on uh, on, Saturday, uh, on Sunday at least. So if you just compare Mercedes with Red Bull, 
I think they're still quite a bit behind because we mustn't forget that Verstappen started on P10 mm -hmm. and won the race and had a spin. And um, <laughs> then Russell started on pole, ended up third. Hamilton, who we all know is amazing around Budapest. And it would have been such a nice story because yeah. there have all these, been these parallels between um, 29 and this season mm -hmm. where he had such a bad car with the McLaren, but he won that race in Hungary. Mm -hmm. And that would have been really a nice story if, it won, if he would have won that one. Um, but um, so Lewis is fantastic around Budapest but still Verstappen started behind him had a spin and won the race ahead of Lewis so I think Mercedes is still a bit behind um, and Mercedes is yeah I, I, I think they don't understand it themselves why they are sometimes so fast and some, sometimes so slow but at least they are getting there so I wouldn't count them as favorites for, for the next races but you cannot discount them anymore <laughs> so um it, that's an interesting one and it's going to be interesting because it's at some point they must find out what it is what makes mm -hmm. them fast or slow and then it's going to be interesting if they get it right every single race weekend but only nine races to go i wonder whether it'll actually be enough for them it does feel like they said they or toto wolf said they've, they've taken a different approach this weekend they've sort of change things up and that's why all of a sudden you know it used to be that they'd be slow in qualifying and then quicker in the race and that didn't seem to be the pattern this weekend did it they sort of seemed well i mean george russell was on pole obviously so very quick in qualifying but in the race were whether or not they were close to red bull is a different question but they were still good they were still they still seemed to be quick so I don't know. I think it's, it is going to be, as you say, it's going to be very interesting to see how they discover that. I've been asking this question at the end of the, the last couple of podcasts. I feel like it's too morbid to ask when you think the title will be decided this season. We're going to ask you anyway because this was a big weekend. Are you willing to, are you willing to guess? Mexico. After Mexico, it's Brazil and Abu Dhabi, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Only two after Mexico. So I think it's going to be Mexico. Oh, okay. What is your guess? So I reckon I'm going to be safer. Not safer than that. I'm going to be more ambitious than that. I'm going to say the US. I'm going to think by the United States it's going to be over because uh, when theory, if Max wins the next five, it's over in Japan. But I think next five is too much. So I'm going to say the US. One more race. Yeah, but you mustn't forget that, that Ferrari had the faster car for most of the races Yeah, I know, now. but they don't win. So, yeah, but, they, but now they don't have any pressure anymore, yeah. let's be honest. <laughs> At least in the championship, they don't have the pressure anymore. They always have the pressure of being Ferrari and the, the Italian media and of us <laughs> yeah um, that's true but I think it's getting a bit easier for them because they realized um, it's probably not about the big prize anymore yes how that attitude changes will be really interesting as a final one because I think this was a little bit of a twist this weekend Mercedes only 30 points behind Ferrari now I mean that feels like that's the battle now right even George Russell only 20 behind Charles Leclerc I think is Mercedes in that battle for second and can they get it do you think um, that depends very much on how Ferrari is doing. If, mm -hmm. they, if they just start getting the results they deserved from, just from, from the pace, they have no chance, I guess. Um, so Mercedes has no chance. Mm -hmm. um, I hope they don't panic after that um, because if they start panicking, then it's going to be even worse. But um, I still believe in Mattia Binotto as a, as a great leader. And I think he hasn't been that great leader in the first years when, when Sebastian versus um, Charles. Um, but he grew into that role. And this year is going to be a really interesting one for him personally if he's up to leading that team in such a situation. And 
I think he can do. So I believe in Matia. I believe in in the pace they have in the car. And I think they make it not only Mercedes more difficult in the future, but also Red Bull. That's why I say it's Mexico, not the US. Yes. Well, I like it. Your answer is better than mine because it means we've got a little bit more excitement still to come in the second half of the year. And anything can happen. Still nine races to go. I can't wait to find out how it is going to go, though. Christian, thank you so much for joining uh, me. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much for having me. And don't forget that um, in hindsight, it's always an easy thing to analyze these races <laughs> and say that Ferrari's strategy was wrong. But um, sometimes it's not that easy during the race. And when I see the pictures of the clowns on the Ferrari pit wall i also have to laugh i have to admit but then it's really a lot more difficult Mm. than that so think of that july was a crucial month for ferrari's title hopes and though it won two races the gains from those victories were easily written off by strategic and reliability losses in other rounds leaving the team and leclerc's title campaigns far worse off overall If it can't get its act together after the break, a potentially rejuvenated Mercedes could be a threat for second place in both championships. Thanks very much to Christian for joining me. The Strategy Report is powered by LeaveCal. Keep track of employee leave and make resource planning easy. Search LeaveCal in the Zero App Store. You can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review to help spread the word. You can also find us on social media. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Amanato. Enjoy the mid-season break wherever you are and I'll be back in a few weeks to debrief the Belgian Grand Prix.